You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Thanks for listening to the Lakers Fast Break Podcast, part of the Hoopheads Podcast Network. Check out all their awesome basketball shows today at hoopheadspod.com. another episode of the lakers fast break podcast it's gerald glassford coming right back at you from lakers fast break pop culture cosmos inside sports fantasy football and game source we truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our shows and if you can please give us our shows a five star review wherever you get your podcasts plus if you can like share subscribe follow or do anything that you can to support us right here at the lakers fast break and also our good friends at the hoop Eds podcast network it is sincerely appreciate well he returns to our show once again as we have some time here on the all-star break and boy do the lakers really need this kind of break after the kind of season that they're having but he's here once again he is a fellow lakers fan should i say suffering lakers fan but also one of the great nba draft experts we call upon because as you know i'm an nba draft fan and i love following the draft and what's going on and I love to inform the viewers and listeners out there on what's going on and updates with the NBA draft. It's a good man indeed. You got to catch what he's doing today at lines.com in the NBA draft section, plus his updated thoughts on the Upside Swings podcast. There's a bunch of great guys there. You know, I was on the show, and I will tell you what, I had a terrific time there, and I truly recommend everybody checking out for the latest news and trends in the nba draft the upside swings podcast it is stone hansen he is at report court on twitter it's always great to have you here my friend yeah it's always great to be on i lost count of how many times this is now but i always enjoy each and every one so excited to talk lakers and and talk the draft that's always a good thing that just means you are well appreciated you're always welcome as i told you that red carpet is always out there for you as we always get updates from you, Rafael Barlow, I got to get Mikey V. The, uh, well, you know what? It's, I'll, I'll make a joke to him when I see him, but I'm going to make this joke to you since you're a man on Twitter as well. The most tweets, accounts, there's uh, probably Twitter itself, there's a couple more, and then there's Mikey V right there for you because Mikey V is a madman on the retweets and we love him <laughs> for it, but he's also a man I got to bring in here in regards to the NBA draft as well, but before we get into the NBA draft as well, and something I noticed on your Twitter account, at report underscore court, I want to ask you this. I know you are a diehard Lakers fan like I am, and I know you've been 
catching what's going on over the past few months in the up and down roller coaster, mostly down roller coaster known as the Los Angeles Lakers. We stand right now as we speak 27 and 31, ninth place in the Western Conference. Anthony Davis is out at least four weeks with a mid ankle sprain. And LeBron had some certain things to say over the course of the weekend, which I touched upon on a previous episode, creating even more controversy on his eventual stay and how long it will last in Los Angeles. But your thoughts so far as we catch up on the Los Angeles Lakers. It's gone about as bad as I expected as soon as that Russell Westbrook trade was made. It sort of just after that, my expectations weren't very high. And I think what's happening is probably even worse than what I had expected. So yeah, it's, it's been a very brutal season, but we can get into it more because I think there is a, a way that they can turn this around in the off season. I don't think there's obviously now that the trade deadline has passed, there's any way that they can turn it around for this year, but I think next year there's a, a glimmer of hope. Well, I agree with you on that. And that's something I've been pointing out uh, for the past few weeks is that, it was more looking like you were going to go ahead and have to retool for next season because this season you weren't going to be able to make the kind of upgrades you needed after the horrible Russell Westbrook trade and the ramifications of that. And no amount of switching for John Wall or getting rid of the first round draft pick in 2027 was going to fix enough of the Lakers problems for this year. I think as that contract becomes more valuable, because you're stuck with him, whether you like it or not, and Lakers fans like it or not, you're stuck with Russell Westbrook to at least the end of the season. And once that actually comes off the books for another year, he's on an expiring contract this summer. Plus you get a 27 and the 29 first round pick that you could put into play. So you could go ahead and do some things there to replenish and kind of make up for the mistakes. But, that's one thing I wanted to ask you again, you and I both see eye to eye on this Russell Westbrook trade from the get go, that it was a mistake right from the get go, but having to make up for that mistake by getting rid of a first round draft pick was to me something I didn't want to do. Do you think that you'll reevaluate this? I'm pretty sure the Lakers are going to have to reevaluate this, but do you think you're going to reevaluate that first round pick in 27 and then 29 in order to try and find some type of significant combination that could be traded for Russell Westbrook? I think you have to at least consider it. I'll say this. I wasn't a fan of using that pick just to trade for John Wall because John Wall's really not going to help us. But if that rumored Christian Wood deal was actually on the table, I think that's a huge mismanagement of assets to not give up that 27 pick and, and bring in Christian Wood because if nothing less, that's a trade asset in, in summer that the Lakers wouldn't have had otherwise. So I, I think that is a mismanagement of assets, but just using it to get off of Russell Westbrook's contract purely just for the sake of getting off of it, I think it was smart to not do. In the summer, I think not only do you have the 27 and 29 picks, but I believe depending currently, I think they're slated, they will have their own pick this year, correct? Yes, I, that's what I, I thought. But no, actually, no, because no, remember, 5 to 14, that goes into the uh, New Orleans trade, if I'm not mistaken. If it's, yeah, uh, which, 
Which goes to the Grizzlies. Yes, correct? which goes yeah. to the Grizzlies. Yes, we have to follow the food chain on that one. But yes, so the Lakers do not have their first round pick. In okay. Play for this yeah, year, so. I wasn't. I wasn't certain on the protections. Yeah, so you, you still do have two first round picks. Obviously, they're very far out, so they're not going to be as valuable as a twenty three or twenty four pick. But even still, it's two first round picks, and as you said, that Westbrook contract actually does sort of become to an extent an asset because. 45 million or, or it's 47 million 47 million yeah is that's a huge chunk of change for some team to have off their books in the 2023 free agency so yeah, that's if you can use westbrook's contract to break it down and bring in two or three other contracts that aren't great that are much easier to move i think that's something you have to really try and do whether it be like buddy healed and somebody else or something along those lines not necessarily specifically but just as an example i was gonna say ah the irony of trying to go ahead and go after <laughs> buddy healed now as yeah. opposed to what happened last summer <laughs> yeah maybe they'll learn from their mistake there but i think trying to move westbrook's contract for a few contracts that are still not great but are much easier to move Sort of like what Dallas did with Porzingis's contract, where they got Dinwiddie and Bertans uh, back for him. I think that's something that the Lakers have to really try and do because, if nothing else, if the the assets you get back don't pan out on the court, they're much easier to move at next year's deadline uh, as opposed to trying to move forty seven million uh, in one transaction. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, once we had him, that basically is what it's going to look like. I mean, after his up and down season his mostly down season as far as his what what he brings to the team and how he fits with LeBron and the rest of the Lakers that's pretty much what you're going to be looking at was him as a trade asset and unfortunately him as a trade asset doesn't really become lucrative until the offseason and more so as it gets closer to the trade deadline next year because then you have teams deciding once and for all should they go ahead and go all in or should they go ahead and go all out and try to save money under the cap? Exactly. But at the same time, waiting that long is sort of a double-edged sword because (laughs) LeBron will not be happy having to wait that long for a, for a team that can compete. So I think you have to move him this summer. I think pretty much everyone in the Lakers organization realizes that it's just a matter of, whether or not they can get it done. I'm not saying I disagree with you in the slightest. I'm I'm just letting you know that some of these teams, there's going to be 28 teams looking at interest with the both the John Wall and also Russell Westbrook contracts. It's just the thing that can you go ahead and make the, the leap in now because you already know where you're going at with the next summer after that mm-hmm. in regards yeah. to if you want that cap space. Or do you want, like this year, especially with the play-in tournament and the way it is now, there's now 20, 22 teams, 23 teams, 24 teams possibly that think they can go ahead into the playoff format. So that may leave them a little bit skittish in the summer and say, you know what, we got a team that's compete. And then we see by February, well, maybe Mm -hmm. we don't have the team we quite expected. So, yes, I know that LeBron would be absolutely unhappy as heck if, they keep Russell Westbrook throughout the entire next year up until the trade deadline. But people are going to have to be understanding that that could be a real possibility. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it uh, in that scenario, it definitely comes down to what the whether or not the the market is there for him in terms of buyers, as opposed to the Lakers being willing to sell. I, I don't think anyone's really questioning their their willingness to sell off of Westbrook at this point. But you're absolutely correct in that whether or not buyers would be interested that early on before the season starts in, in 2023, that's sort of the big question. I mean, these and, mid-market teams, I mean, these mid-market and lower market teams that are right there, I'll, I'll say like a Toronto or something like a Memphis. Memphis is doing great now, but what about a year from now? You never know. You know, same thing with uh, even a Milwaukee, who are the champs and look great right now, Ashana Satantacumpo. Who knows what's going to go down a year from now? So exactly, that's that's predicting a lot far off. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple teams that you might be able to get to bite to swing for the fences. One of those maybe being like the Knicks, uh, who have you know like Fournier, who's got a, a pretty chunky contract. And yeah, um, the, you're the you're the third person to mention Fournier, and that, this is the third time I kind of flinch when you but, say that. Ex- the thing though is it's it's less about i think the product of what you're getting back and more about the ability to use those as trades in at the deadline he's because still got years though on his contract that's why i'm concerned he, he he does but 17 million is a lot easier to move than sure. 47 which is, is sort of the way i'm viewing this westbrook and, and how the lakers i think should view it because if you're expecting to get a lot back especially because of what you're saying where Teams don't really know where they're going to be at, at by next year's deadline. But if you can at least get contracts that are much easier to move by next year's deadline, I think that should ultimately be sort of the goal that the Lakers are going for. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com, and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. Bring me all of the Star Trek all of the time, and I will be an incredibly happy girl. Even if it's terrible. It's like pizza. Bad pizza is still pretty good because it's pizza. Bad Star Trek is still pretty good because it's still Star Trek. That's the way that I look at it. Just let it sit in the refrigerator for a day and be cool. That's it. Yep. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. But once again, it's Stone Hansen. You got to check out his latest NBA mock draft on Twitter today at report underscore court. Plus also check out the great podcast that he does each and every time out with his good compadres. Again, a great show that I have been so honored to have been part of and also a great show that I continue still to check out on the NBA draft. And that's Upside Swings podcast. Please go ahead and follow it, subscribe and be part of it today on the Upside Swings podcast. But it is the NBA draft. You are an NBA draft aficionado, per se. <laughs> I've been checking out your thoughts on your Twitter and also what you're doing at lines.com. And I'm very intrigued by your selections and who you have right now in an earlier process. Because people, we still got a long ways to go. We still got March Madness. We still got evaluations. We still got camps. We still got Portsmouth. We the whole nine yards, the measurements, the final measurements, obviously the health records, things of that nature, if they do decide as agents to go ahead and give these teams health records, everything that goes on during the draft process. So this is still kind of an early beat. And I already talked to Rafael Barlow and his thoughts. And I know that I want to get a chance to get a hold of Mikey V as well. But 
I saw that in your top five, it's a little different from the consensus top five. So I want to hear yeah. your thoughts. Is it a top five, top five, mm-hmm. as far as in the draft is concerned? Because people are saying it's a top four as of right now. Pretty much all my draft work is currently being done with upside swings. Um, uh, and like you were saying, if anyone is really interested in the draft and wants to check that out, we're actually starting our um, our prospect breakdowns. We just recorded one, so those will be dropping pretty much all through March Madness. But my current top five, as, as I currently have it, is I have Chet Holmgren at one. I have Adrian Griffin Jr. number two. Number three on my board, I have Jabari Smith. Number four, I have Paolo Banchero. And at number five, I have Jaden Ivey. So that, that's sort of my top five right now that I'm going with. But it's this class for me, uh, I actually have a top six. My sixth would be Johnny Davis. It seems very fluid. It's a very fluid top six for me right now. There's there's no clear-cut number one for me at this point, and I don't really anticipate it being a clear-cut number one up until the draft. Don't blame me a bit. That yeah. seems to everybody I – mean, from what I'm saying, I thought Chet was uh, a number one going into the college basketball season. I saw Paulo Bancaro. He's been lighting it up. I still have issues with his defense, so I've got some concerns there and the fact that he may not be able laterally to move as well. So Chet Holmgren, you always worry about him bulking up, but I, I never underestimate his his competitiveness, and he's been killing it in the WCC, so really can't say bad things about him there. And the fact if he can get a consistent 40% from outside, I mean, that does wonders for whoever who, who's ever going to draft him. I'm right now, if you put a proverbial basketball at my head I would probably say Jabari Smith just because he has some shades I don't want to say KD KD but I has some shades of KD still has to learn how to dribble with both hands because I know you can guard him pretty easily at going one way I think you can guard him only to, you know if you guard him to his right hand you ask him to go left that's still a hard deal for him but the guy has such a silky smooth jump shot for a college player that's something that's that's not too common it is really good and at 610 i think the thing is though people worry about his defense it's really hard for him to shine on defense and this is something i'm going to ask you about in a little bit is about the big men in the nba draft you have walker kessler who's getting like almost double digit blocks on several occasions it's so hard for jabari smith to stand out on the defensive end and i think that's going to be something that maybe he can develop more because I've seen the, the quickness there that he has it. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me was AJ Griffin. And I know that he on a lot of other lists is still a top 10 prospect, but you have him higher than almost anybody I've ever, I've seen as of yet. Your thoughts on why AJ Griffin stands out so well to you. Yeah. I just think there's very little things to pick on with AJ Griffin as to why he wouldn't pan out to being a very positive contributing, like winning basketball player at worst as a rotational or starting level guy. I think he's just a wing who makes really great decisions, probably the best shooter in this draft, pretty insane athleticism. I I mean, he's sort of the, the total package, I think. And uh, I think the one thing holding him back maybe is not being able to consistently get his own shot. But even then, sort of each game as he's gotten healthier, he looks better and better. Uh, I know people have concerns in regards to injuries and generally when 
guys have multiple like lower body extremity injuries in high school it yeah. doesn't generally pan out but griffin jr is just that sort of talent that i think you sort of have to bet on him and take him that high and i'm not a medical professional i don't have the medicals in front of me so i can't i can't definitively say so i tend to just not take it into account unless i, I have that information He's a wing who makes great decisions on both ends of the court and can really shoot the heck out of the ball. So it's tough on me to, to sort of pass on him. One thing I want to ask you, though, with him, and then you also have on the same team, Paulo Bancaro, and we were talking about Paulo Bancaro on the defensive end. Part of the reason might be is the same as Jabari Smith, is that he also has a big man that's considered a first-round prospect in Mark Williams, plugging up the hole. Is it hard to evaluate guys like Jabari Smith and Paulo Banquero? I've talked about Paulo Banquero's, you know, his footwork is not where I'd like to see it. But again, a lot of that could be in place because he has A.J. Griffin and also, you know, doing a lot of the defensive work and also as well, Mark Williams. And again, with Jabari Smith, he has Walker Kessler back there in the middle trying to block shots. Is that harder to evaluate these players on the defensive end because the fact that there's so much talent on both of these teams? To a degree, I think so, yes. With Paolo specifically, it's sort of a lack of engagement. And that's sort of where like high school film sort of comes into play because you want to see him in multiple different contexts. When you watch him at Duke, there's just a lot of times where he's sort of off ball and just ball watching and, and not really sort of half-heartedly doing help defense and, and things like that because he knows he has Mark Williams one of the best shot blockers in the country behind him, able to clean up his mistakes and Griffin to run around the perimeter and, and clean up a lot. So I think some of it might just be, you know, he's he's comfortable being the number one guy on offense and he knows that he has guys that can pick up the slack for him defensively. So it is difficult to see, you know, how much of it is just effort and how much of it is a technical understanding of where he needs to be in positioning and those sort of things. So it does make it a little bit hard, but you sort of just have to try your best to sift those things out. And that's that, you know, we've seen that throughout the days in college, whenever somebody is able to throw out a front court there with a power forward and a center, they're both talented and uniquely skilled at different facets of the game, such as what we're seeing in Duke and Auburn. It's really hard to gauge on both. I think, like I said, in the times I've seen Walker Kessler that sit down on the bench and you've seen Jabari Smith out there, I think, he is a little bit more engaged and I think he's able to go ahead and do a little bit more on defense from what I've seen from Boncaro, but I don't want to have that set in pardon the pun stone as far as, you know, the type of, okay, they really are bad defensive players. You don't know until they get to the next level. You just try to see glimpses of it when their centers who are focused in on being those anchors on defense, when they're out of the lineup, what they can do, and what they can't. So Again, there's with AJ Griffin with that with that Duke team. I'm surprised Duke is not a number one team, and that still surprised me. The kind of talent that they have there, I think that's uh, well, it speaks for itself in my in my opinion in regards to what issues that they have on the team. I mean, yes, they're a top ten team, but I still think there should be a number one team when you have that kind of talent. When you have three players, and I think four players that are considered in the you know as far as first round talent, but. Moving on to what I wanted to ask you to finish this out with Chet Holmgren. Obviously, such a unique and skilled player, a seven foot one, such an was seven eight or seven nine reach, if I'm not mistaken. 
I don't have the exact number. I know Mikey's sort of the, the king it's of It's not movies. Bamba. It's not Bamba. It's not it's Bamba, just, but it's, it, just, it's um, just based on my sort of eye test, I'd say probably like seven, 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 eight, something like that. Okay. I mean, he the incredible, the things that he can do. I mean, if you take a look at him, especially early in the season when he was, uh, you know, in those national news televised games and he, he was able to, you know, obviously get the rebound, take it up by himself, distribute. The fact that you can use him in, you know, as someone who can distribute the ball and, and be a playmaker is is really advantageous for someone that size, isn't it? Yeah, I think he's he's phenomenal, really, at, at seeing the game. I think a lot of sort of the the self creation gets a little bit overhyped in terms of people see these highlights that he's handling the ball, and I think it can be functional, like in the open court. Because um, Paulo think- does a bit of that too. He does. And I think with Paolo, it's more, I, I buy it more in the half court setting. I think with Chet, there's a lot of, he, he just, his handle is very slow because he's so big, understandably. Yeah. And I think in high school, it got a little bit overhyped because it was against lower competition and he can get away with it a bit more. But at lo- higher levels, I think it's just going to be mitigated a little bit more. But as far as what he does defensively, he's probably. This is my seventh draft now, and he's probably the best shot blocker I think I've I've ever evaluated. Um, and that's saying something. Even in this draft, where you got Mark Williams, you've got Paulo again. Well, like I said before, not Paulo but Carroll, but Mark Williams. You've got Walker uh, Kessler. Yeah. You've you've got the kid from Arizona. I seen Christian Coloco. He's actually pretty good as far as that's concerned. So that tells you a lot, my friend. Yeah, especially with Evan Mobley last year too. Yeah, Holmgren's just. He's phenomenal defensively. As a shot blocker, he's not the quickest second leaper. He has, you know, people have athletic concerns with him, but he's just so phenomenal at tracking where the ball is on the court and positioning himself to be able to bait guys into going towards the rim and blocking it. He just knows that with that massive wingspan, he can get there and alter shots. Uh, Even if he doesn't block it, there's so many occasions where he just alters sort of the route um, of where guys are driving towards the rim or or how they get their shots off. And that's pretty impressive to watch. Offensively, I think there's probably a little bit more reason for concern as to why someone maybe wouldn't take him number one. But I think he's he's such a special talent and so unique that it, it's very difficult for me to see how someone can have a case not taking him at least like top three. I'll tell you what, you know, your insight into the NBA draft is always impressive and I truly appreciate it. Once again, it's Stone Hansen at report underscore court on Twitter. Also, as well, you got to check out what he's doing today at the Upside Swings podcast. That's where the latest current information that he has and also where he thinks currently everybody's going to place at in the NBA draft and his early thoughts on it. Although, you know, with us out there that follow the NBA draft, it's always subject to change, especially leading into March. But my friend, before we have you talk about what's coming up for the Upside Swings podcast, one last thought on the Lakers before <laughs> not to torture oh. you anymore with that, but you know, we go into the rest of the season, the last what 24 games or something like that around there. It's there again, not been a pretty sight. Where do you see the Lakers standing by the end of the season? I don't see them falling out of the play in tournament. I think they're pretty solidly going to remain in the play in tournament. We'll see if they get into the playoffs based upon uh, their play. If they do get into the playoffs, I I really don't see them making it out of the first round. I think that's sort of where their their ceiling is at this point in time, unfortunately. 
if they're going up against the Warriors, it's it's really going to be difficult for them, I think, even though they played them well. But without Anthony Davis, it's it's too much of an uphill battle, I think, for them to, to make it out the first round. Um, Wouldn't so Davis be back we'll see if then? he's back. They're saying a month. Well, yeah, I, I heard they're saying a month. Which would, yeah, for him, probably but, be about um, five, six weeks. Yeah, they're, they're saying a month, but honestly, I'm not. I'm not really buying it because, what, what do you have to gain by by rushing him back, to just get into the first round? Like it's, yeah. I, I think it's going to progress a little bit further than than people hope. So um, you think so, they're going to sit him down for the rest of the season? Is that a possibility in their minds? That's where I would think they would go with it, but we'll see. We'll see how how it unfolds. I guess we can look forward to hopefully some more Austin Reeves and, and Talon Horton Tucker minutes. Hopefully they can, you know, develop a little bit more than, than we thought, or at least for Horton Tucker would. And, you know, Malik Monk is fun. So it's, it's cool to watch him. Uh, he needs to start. But, he needs to start. I'm just going to say that. I'll ask you this while we're here, actually. What do you think the Lakers should do with Frank Vogel? How do you think they should handle that situation? Well, up until January, I was probably the most ardent supporter of keeping Frank Vogel in, in that case. Uh, but seeing how he's played you know, jigsaw puzzles with the starting lineup, even when everybody's been healthy, and seeing the fact that at times his team has just not listened to anything that he said and not given him, you know, been, been supportive of him as much as I would have hoped, I would say a clean break, unfortunately, is getting closer and closer in my mind to being ordered. Something that I didn't want to say because obviously, you know, he helped design a team and bring a team to a championship. But as I've said on this show, it's an organizational issue. It's not just Frank Vogel. It's the players. It's Vogel. It's especially in the GM area or Rambuses or whoever is running the team at this point. I think this team needs a change in owner. I think it needs just period. It needs a cleansing from top down. You need to sell. Uh, I think this point, if this, okay, we'll spend money on three big players, but we'll go cheap everywhere else. It just doesn't work in this, in today's environment. You just can't go cheap. You can't save money. Even if over you over the taxes, you just, if you want to win, you, you can't do that. And if you, that's your mentality, I think it's time to sell the team. I think, you know, you can get six, $7 billion possibility out of it. Hey, that's fine. It's there. But I think that the Lakers fans deserve more than what we're getting right now at this point. And LeBron deserves more than what he's getting at this point. He's still one of the best players on earth. I understand he's not you know, at that level. Maybe he was four or five years ago. But man, you see the way he's been playing. He's been playing sensational. Uh, and to waste these years... It's a shame. Yes, I understand that it's already like house money that LeBron and AD got us a championship, or we're just playing with house money at this point. But my gosh, that house money could look so much sweeter if we actually made every attempt that we could to go ahead and provide a winning team around them. I don't think I've ever uh, agreed with a Lakers fan more than after what you just said there. (laughs) I think it absolutely starts at the top. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people want to see the organization stay with the bus family, but I think it's, it's time for it to go. And, and I was a big and supporter I, of Jeannie during the mm-hmm. infight of the buses. I was on the air saying how much I wanted to support what's going on. You know, I always said my thoughts out loud supporting Jeannie, but as we see the bigger picture and as we see what 
other owners and other clubs are doing and other organizations are doing in order to go ahead and maintain a winner. We see what's going on in Golden State and their willingness to go ahead and pay the repeater tax, not just the tax, the repeater tax. We see what you know they're doing right across the hall, which will be right down in Inglewood here next season, the Clippers and Steve Ballmer, who's one of the richest men on earth. The Lakers need a top-down organizational cleansing. And, and again, mm. that starts from the very top. Yeah, because I think if you're, if you're just bringing in nostalgic hires – because they they've been a part of the Lakers organization in the past. That's that mentality. Never, yeah, you'll never you'll never get back to consistent winning basketball. But yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think we can we could probably spend all night hashing out our grievances, talking about how the Lakers will will uh you know not not be what they once were for. I think I've got 80 episodes on this season already <laughs> that I've done that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's rough. But you know, hopefully people enjoy enjoy LeBron, enjoy what he's doing because he even though he's not gonna be an MVP candidate, he's playing like one, even though the team's success won't back him up, but he's absolutely playing like one. So just enjoy what he's doing because there's only so many years left of it. So Absolutely. Before he leaves, like he hinted at during Foster Weekend or wherever Bronny James gets drafted. If he gets drafted, and that's something that I definitely want to talk to you about down the road because I've already started seeing the rankings where he's falling out right now, and that's still going to be a tough question when or where he would get drafted because as you know, the draft picks or potential draft picks that are you know right now in the rankings where he's at, which I'm seeing wherever you, whoever you talk to, whoever you read between 25 and 50, it's not a sure thing that he can be an NBA caliber player. So that's going to be something very interesting to see, you know, if a team say, okay, well, he may not be in our long-term plans, but in order to get LeBron here for a year, I think we should, you know, try it. So that whole mentality of, of LeBron wanting to be a Laker for the rest of his career, I think people have got to come to realization after this past weekend that it may not be the case. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, star, sorry, everyone to go ahead and end this, but you know, on a, on a, awfully uh uncheery note but it's just a realization of where we're at as an organization as we always tell you here at the lakers fast break but stone it's been great having you on as always i got to get you back on sooner and in fact i will be because you know the tournament time is coming around the corner and that's always the best time to evaluate a lot of these players but where can people go to get the latest updates on the nba draft from you and the guys at upside swings yeah, you could follow me. All my draft work, including this once it comes out, is is always on Twitter at report underscore court. Anything I do draft related or, or basketball related will, will be posted there. All my work currently is with Upside Swings right now. We're, we're focusing, I'm all in on that. We're going to start doing prospect breakdowns where we get into the most minute of details of each prospect in this class. Uh, probably like 80 to 100 prospects this year. And, and we'll break down all of them as in depth as possible. If you have two hours to burn, give us give us a listen. Uh, and then once the draft uh, lottery rolls around, we'll be doing our our thirty teams in thirty days, where we had you on last year, and we talk about each team with with somebody who follows them very closely, and we try our best to sort of fill in the uh, the draft portions of it with what we've seen from the prospects. So if you're into the draft, or even if you're not, and you want to learn more definitely give us a listen at Upside Swings. 
follow us on Twitter, on TikTok, and you can give us a rating and review. We, we really appreciate it. There you go. That's the Upside Swings podcast. Please go ahead and check it out today. And also follow him at report underscore court on Twitter. I do, and I always see a lot of great things there, including his latest thoughts on who he thinks is going to go where in the NBA draft. Although, again, you should always put an asterisk. It's subject to change. (laughs) Always. Always, always indeed. But my friend, great. Oh, before I want to ask you, before we head on out, big men. You don't have as many of the big men we had mentioned so far on today's show as high as some others. I know that if, like, let's say, not not maybe in the lottery, but right after that 15 to 30, I think a lot of big men are going to be in play as far as it's concerned. I, like I said, I already mentioned a few already with Mark Williams, possibly the kid from Memphis, Jalen Duran. Uh, I know I already mentioned Walker Kessler. I know I've already mentioned Kristen Coloco. I mean, these are guys out there, big men that they're not like tweeners. They're not like 6'8", 6'9", 6'10", guys, which I've seen at the uh, near end of the first round of the past couple of years, posing as big guys. These are actually legit big guys that can do a lot of things. Your thoughts on some of these big guys before we head on out? I'll say that out of all the big guys outside of the, you know, maybe top five or 10, and Duran is actually not in, in that grouping for me, I think I like John Butler the most. And for people who haven't seen him, I highly recommend just watching what you can of him. Basically, if you if you like Chet Holmgren, you'll like John Butler. And I'll, I'll just sort of leave it at that. I like Duran, but not nearly as much as most people in the, that have him lottery. I'm, I'm not in on him that high. I like Mark Williams probably more than Walker Kessler at this point. And I would say I would have neither top 30, but probably both top 40, even though they'll both probably get drafted in the first round. And yeah, that's that's probably where I'm at with that, that second grouping of bigs. There you go. And there's also Orlando Robinson, Zach Eady. Those are big guys that might come into play in the second round. I'm still rooting for Isaiah Mobley. I think that he might have a chance to sneak in, in the, you know, in the final five, ten picks. I mean, I, I, a guy that can pass like he can, I think he should never be underestimated. Plus, he can hit the three for you at a very good rate. Uh, I think that's something that people need. He's his aggression. I mean, he needs to get more aggressive. I think that's first thing, uh, especially on that USC team that needs a lot of offense that doesn't have much plays great defense. So he's a great team defender, but yeah, I really think that Isaiah Mobley probably if he does go, is going to be back in the second round and most likely a good undrafted pickup for some team out there. So. I've been rooting for the kid. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. you you've been you've been rooting for him since last year. I, I but I I, the, I have like my expectations are low. I, I yeah, if yeah. he gets in, he gets in fifty five to sixty. Yeah, yeah. So I just I don't think people yeah. value him yet. Can, but I see him as a yeah. You'll never be able to predict the final ten picks of a draft. So Mobley has as good a chance as anybody to get picked in that range. I just think he has some skills that you could bring in as a rotational player that might actually pan out that translate to a higher level. So that's just my, my two cents in there, but you know, something. I mean, I have him top 80. So to a degree, I think he's, he's worth an undrafted free agent work. Um, there you go. You never know. He might be uh, the next Austin Reeves. There you go. Could be, could be indeed. But once again, to Stone Hansen, please go ahead and check out him and the guys at the Upside Swings podcast. If you're an NBA draft aficionado, should be already subscribed to it. You should be already going ahead and listening to every episode. Plus, also as well, you got to go ahead and check out him on Twitter at report underscore court today.
Well, Stone, great to have you here, my friend, talking NBA draft. I will definitely check in with you very soon, although the red carpet's open. If you want to come on any sooner, even if it's to moan and groan about the Lakers, because this year, that's what we've done. We moan and groan about the Lakers. You can always do it here a lot sooner, right here at the Lakers Fest.